My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with female and female-identified entrepreneurs, founders, co-founders, business owners, and industry gurus. These podcasts speak with women and women-identified individuals across all industries in order to shed light for those just getting into the entrepreneurial game as well as those deeply embedded within it. Histories, current companies, and lessons learned are explored in the conversations I have with these insightful and talented powerhouses. The series is designed to investigate a female and female-identified perspective in what has largely been a male-dominated industry in the USA to date. I look forward to contributing to the national dialogue about the long overdue change of women in American business arenas and in particular entrepreneurial roles. You can contact me via my media company website, wild.agency, that's W-I-L-D-E dot agency, or my personal website, patriciacathleen.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. Hi everyone and welcome back. This is your host Patricia and today I am sitting down with Jessica Joins. Jessica is a keynote speaker, holistic executive coach, and author of Dare to Believe. Welcome Jessica. Thank you. Welcome to you too. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm so excited to get into um, Jessica's prolific and dynamic history and current work endeavors. Really quickly, a um, roadmap for everyone listening for our talk today with Jessica. We're going to talk um, briefly about her academic background, early professional life, and life following her early professional life. And then we're going to get into unpacking her book, her Women's Purpose Retreat, and all of her endeavors kind of nestled within those two. Then we'll climb straight into the goals that Jessica has over the next three years, given all of the endeavors she's got her hands in, maybe future books and things of that nature. And then we'll wrap everything up with advice that Jessica has for those of you looking to emulate what she does or get involved with her work as she is doing it right now. A quick bio on Jessica. Jessica is a keynote speaker, on-air host, author, and coach with a single mission to help people step into the most expanded state of their soul purpose. Her journey and teachings have captured the hearts and minds of many. Her best-selling book, Dare to Believe, details her relentless courage and perseverance in the face of many challenges. Jessica shows us that anything we imagine for ourselves is truly possible. So that's exciting, Jessica, and I like that um, that bio because it's it's a, like a taster. It's just the the very glimpse of you know what you um, and your your life has done. I want you to start us off with, if you would be so kind, um, with your um, academic background and then your professional life following that. Yeah. Um... You know, so academic background, I got my BA at San Francisco State. I'm from California. I went local close to where I grew up. And then I did my master's in communications. I did a master of science at Cornell University. And after that, I started right away in the advertising industry. I spent most of my career working at agencies um, in all kind of different functions from uh, client service to later on in business development. And my, I started a company uh, in 2011 with a partner that was focused on, the, at, at the time, the burgeoning ad tech industry. Hmm. Uh, it was a consultancy. It was one of the first ratings platforms for the ad tech industry at the time. 
a way to curate and understand what was going on. We sold that company in 2016, um, but I had already left shortly before that to go take a really big role at this new company that was entering the U.S. called Rakuten, which now you see you know, on TV spots all the time, and I was the global CMO there wow. um, before I eventually left. Now, there's a lot of my journey mixed into that that I talk a lot about in the book, which I'm happy to kind of talk with you about how that played into some of the decisions and choices that I made. But that's kind of the short, you know, snapshot, if you will. Absolutely. It's interesting because it sounds like um, a lot of people, I think, view it in reverse. So I think a lot of people go from corporate into a startup. And it sounds like for that, that brief 2011 to 2016, before you jump back in, you went from a startup back into corporate. How did you find that quick change back over? Was it something that was very similar or did you compare and contrast the difference between the corporate and the startup world during that time? So this is where we get into my story. Um, this is a lot of what um, my book is about. So from the very beginning, um, well, I would say around college time, I started making decisions based on what I now refer to as a place of survival consciousness. I was looking at the world as something I was trying to survive. I wasn't making decisions based on where my heart was calling me. I wasn't thinking about what I love. I wasn't thinking about what I have great passion for. I was thinking about, this is what I'm good at. This is how I think I could make money. This is what the opportunity is. Right. And for me, that led to great unhappiness from the very start. My very first job at a huge ad agency, I had panic attacks three months in because I was so mm -hmm. unhappy and couldn't believe this was my life. And so I was on a sole purpose journey before I consciously knew I was on it. But if you look at my resume, I was leaving agencies every two years because I, I didn't understand why I couldn't be happy in these jobs. And I kept thinking it was the agency, it was the environment. I didn't realize it took me a long time to click and to realize, oh, I hadn't structured my life around what gives me joy. That felt frivolous to me. That didn't, that didn't feel like something viable. And so, you know, the kind of point where it all began for me and to your question right before I had the startup is I was in a huge agency role. I was very unhappy. I was breaking down emotionally, mentally, physically, all of it. I was working, you know, 80, 100 hours a week. I was eating yeah. all my meals at work. I was sleeping there, the whole thing. And um, I was very senior at the time, right before Christmas, I was laid off. And I had a six month severance as part of that. And I went from despair to, oh my God, this is the greatest gift I've ever <laughs> yeah. been given. Yeah. Right. I yeah. was 36 at the time. And I decided to do, yeah, I decided to follow my heart. It was the first time in my life, like I really did, I did something that followed my heart. And everyone around me thought I was crazy. And that was, I went and traveled by myself for a year. And nice. um, all through Southeast Asia, India, I was really inspired by Eat, Pray, Love at the time. It was like back in 2011, it was really popular. Yeah. And because I had reached such a state of misery and I wasn't finding my happiness in quote unquote, the corporate world that I knew, you know, the advertising world. And I didn't know how to find happiness while I was still within it. And so I had to leave. My, my, my intuition, my heart was just calling me to leave. And I listened to that. Like I said, everyone thought I was nuts, like lost my mind, you know, kind of a thing. Sure. Yeah. And when I came back, the beginning of my sole purpose journey for me was, again, I didn't have the vocabulary for it at the time, but it was, 
I have to try something different because what I've been doing is not leading to happiness. And um, so there was an opportunity to, to and I, I, I intuitively felt that I needed to work for myself. Um, I felt that, that like entrepreneurship might solve some of the struggle I was having. So when I got back from this trip, an opportunity presented itself to do that. Um, and I took it. And that was, that was, I would say like the official, even though I'd already been on the journey, it was officially like the beginning of, okay, I'm going to figure out in life. My goal was how to get paid to be happy rather than paid to suffer, because that's really what I had felt like my life was till that point. Yeah. And it's remarkable. I think a lot of people think that when you're, you know, miserable at a position that you're doing a poor job. And um, frequently, I think that the, the greatest prisons are built, you know, out of something that we're doing a, a, and actually a good job at. We're just not happy doing it. And there's a big difference, um, particularly in entrepreneurship, where you have to, you know, talking to a lot of founders, young and old, you wear a bunch of hats, you know, in the beginning that you don't want to simply to know your business inside and out and things of that nature. But then whether or not you retain doing those particular tasks and things like that really kind of forms and molds how happy one is in their own endeavor, but, but and as well going into the corporate scene, you know, um, being able to execute something better than um, your colleagues and things like that doesn't necessarily innately make you happy doing it. No. In fact, the, the biggest advice that I give to women that I'm working with now is I always say, like, don't lead with what you're good at. We're good at many things. I'm really good at math. I think I'd be miserable if I was a mathematician, right? <laughs> like, you know, and it's leading with passion first. It's leading with like what you love. What you love is unique to you. But it took me a really, really, really long time to realize that because yeah. I had the startup. It was still within the field of advertising. I then got like the, the offer I couldn't refuse after that. It, you know, I kept getting promoted and accelerating. You know, I was not happy, but I did a damn good job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I got, you know, right before I turned 40, like a huge global CMO role. I said, I got to take this. And so that was a very um, healthy corporate environment. Like if you want to, Rakuten's an incredible company. If you want to like go work at the ideal company where there's great life balance, you're, you know, like all that was there. So it was a great situation for me because what happened is when all of that was lined up, I couldn't like blame a toxic work environment, whatever. It finally helped me to see, which again, now it's like, I'm a little over 40 at the time, like, oh, I dedicated like my whole adult life to this advertising thing and I actually don't love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it yeah. Like, uh, I never even thought that because like, think about what that has that when you have that realization, what you have, what it forces you to unravel. Right. Like, okay. Now what am I going to do? Am I going to start over? Like, mm -hmm. and I think that's why it took so long to, to have that realization. Yeah. And starting over is its own universe of, I find that everyone encourages happiness until it comes to the actual path to it, you know, but this idea that anyone like even think about pivoting after the role of 30 is wildly frowned upon by, you know, everyone across all communities. I mean, I can't picture anyone being overly supportive of that unless they themselves had done that. You know, someone will say, you need to be happy, but you can't just reinvent your whole life right now. And to that end, I kind of want to slide now into book writing is something that we've explored a lot on the show. We've spoken to a lot of different authors, um, fiction and nonfiction. And it's interesting to me, the impetus for a book is always strong, but the way that it comes about, I spoke with someone who took seven years writing her first book, um, a nonfiction piece, 
based on her life and, um, and her mother. And then I spoke with someone who said that they sat down, they got a book deal for it. They said that it needed to be done in six months and she was done in six weeks. You know, it just flew out of her. So when you started, um, writing your book, I'm curious, it sounds like the impetus was growing in your globe trotting, you know, in this moment of, of, of finding oneself for, um, for lack of a better term and, and re-identifying with your sole purpose. But, um, did, did dare to believe like form over that time period? Did it fly right out of you? Did you know you needed to write it when you got home? Like how was the, the creation of that? Yeah. I mean, it, it flew out of me. I didn't, I wrote the book last year. I wrote it and, you know, published it in the same year for me, you know, the impetus for me and the journey, like the journey of, Hey, I'm going to figure this thing out began and during the travels and mm -hmm. for me, and again, like, you know, anyone that's watching or listening, you know, take what resonates, leave what doesn't for me, I, you know, I was, I was doing the different assessments you can do like career stuff. I was doing, you know, the purpose, the three concentric circles, what I, this magical <laughs> yeah. intersection. And it just didn't work because my head, which is like where my ego lives, which is like my voice of fear that presents itself as the voice of reason kept getting in the way. And right. so for me, my journey was, I'll call it a spiritual one, but I had to go like deeply within. And so I started studying, you know, Eckhart Tolle and Louise Hay and reading everything like Oprah had put out. Like that for me, I just knew like this, everything that was written there is what resonated for me and what started awakening something within me. But then here's the thing. I'm a super analytical person. So I'd read all this stuff and I'd go, well, okay, I, it makes all sense. But like, what do I do today? Like, what do I do? Like, how do I take all these teachings and like apply it into what am I going to do? And so what I did is I took all the stuff and I started creating my own practices, like my own roadmap to soul purpose. And I just intuitively said, you know what? I'm going to follow this. And if it leads me there and if it works, I'm going to then put it in a book to share with everyone else. Nice. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. So the book, it's part memoir and story, but it is truly a step-by-step -step guidebook. Like if you're um, not feeling completely fulfilled by your life, I mean, there are, it's, you know, what you do, 12 kind of lessons and literally this is what you do each day to get there. Um, and so I, it definitely flowed out because I'd been living it for years and I didn't even consider trying to get it published because I felt like it was something huge that I had uncovered that could help people. And I just had to get it out there. Yeah, absolutely. So when you did, um, well, I must say, first of all, like the, I, I think that there are a lot of people describing you know, issues and, and how to come upon solutions and, and how to step into your zone of genius and all of these different things. But I do believe that there is, even in people who are very, spending a lot of time very elegantly clarifying, you know, how to find one's um, purpose, perfectly harmonious state, the state of genius that, that's been referenced, a lot of different things like that. There isn't necessarily this like, and then what, or an action item attached to it. You know, I think that, you know, clarifying it and doing a lot of things is something, but this idea that you have of 12 steps to, you know, this, this actual action item, this like moment that you can move towards and, and function with is, um, is very it's new it feels different in this in this industry and things of that nature and then when you finally finished it right um, writing it did you think 
you thought yeah, I've just got to get it out there. I've got to get going. When you went to publish it, was that fluid as well? It was it seamless or did it take some work? Yeah. I mean the right, I would say like the writing was the easy part. Yeah. Totally yeah. like self-publishing is kind of a, the thing to figure out the first time you're doing it. Like now anyone ever wants help, I'll help you because I struggled a bit just with, you know, stupid stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like, yeah. there's so many different platforms and like a format, you know, like that. It was just technical stuff, which isn't my thing. But, right. um, but yeah, no, I was just happy to, to get it out there. And I've had um, a lot of women, especially in the advertising industry where I come from, you know, reach out to me uh, and say that it helped them. And that's really what I wanted. Nice. So now I'm curious when you were writing it, you run women's purpose retreats. And I'm curious as to know the relationship between that. Was it um, retreat influenced book, book influenced retreat, or were they completely embedded within each other? They were, they were actually pretty, I mean, I guess they're kind of connected, but in a way a bit separate. Um, you know, um, you know, I launched the Women's Purpose Retreat in September of 18, and we just had our second one literally last week. And at the time, when I first launched it, I was still writing the book. I, I was still in it. I hadn't published it yet. Mm -hmm. And I mean, look, everything that comes for me is I care about helping people align with the highest potential of their life, which I believe is our sole purpose, to understand that and allow that. And that's really what I've come to understand is a journey. And I'm going to be like really cliche here, but it's the best way to explain it. A journey from being fear aligned to love aligned. And I don't mean like, you know, in a romantic sense, I mean, I mean in that most of us, at least how I lived most of my life, we kind of always believe that negative voice in our head really aligned with it. I made many choices, actions, decisions based on that kind of negative naysaying voice in my head. And that led to a really small life. I didn't like think to listen to my heart and what my heart was saying. You know, I didn't think about what I'm passionate about, what I, you know, I wasn't following my heart. And what I found is it's actually the reverse is what leads to happiness, but it's, it's hard, right? Because it doesn't feel right. like the safe choice at times. And so, you know, both are come from the same place of wanting to help people like live the highest potential for their life. And I obviously feel a very close connection to the C-suite, C-level women, which is, you know, where I ended my corporate journey, um, which is who are the women that come to the Women's Purpose Retreat. So the retreat, it's small. It's for the C-suite. We get, we have about 35 women that attend. It's, um, it's a curated event and it's very intimate and we come together to all focus on expanding our expression of our purpose in the world and there's a lot of intimate conversations you know i'll tell you at the retreat last week um there was a lot of real vulnerability shared a lot of stories a lot of uh tears mm -hmm. um and what this, what the women's purpose retreat really is, it's a safe space for women in these really stressful, challenging roles to come together, to share their truth and to support one another in thriving in their lives. And it's a mix yeah. of women who are corporate. It's a lot of agency women that come and then it's a lot of founders. And look, women are in different points. There are some women that are there because they're kind of like me and, and they're, they're how I was. And they're like, I'm miserable. I don't know how to get into my second or third chapter. Yeah. And there's women that, you know, 
living the highest potential for your life might mean more well-being, you know? Um, it's really about living in joy every day, whatever that means to you. So there's women that might feel connected to what they do, you know, quote unquote for work, but there's area, other areas of their life that they want to focus on. Can you describe a little bit more about the logistics of the retreat? Is it location-based? Is it based in an area? Um, the pool of people that you pull from, well, that's C-suite, how do you advertise for it? I mean, you're kind of in the beginning of it, but how have you kind of gotten those nuts and bolts in place? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. So the first year we had it um, in a sustainable community. When I, I, I used to be East Coast, I was New York-based. I just moved back to California this summer. Um, so we had it in a sustainable community outside of Atlanta. Um, I, you know, a very kind of purpose aligned, um, energy and location, um, at a place called Serenby. Um, and this year we had it here in California, closer to me in Southern California. So it's not necessarily about location. Women who come, come from all over the U S and Canada. And it is, um, you know, it's an invitation only event. So the first year it really started with me inviting a lot of my network and it's grown from there. Everyone who attended that was new this year was nominated. Almost everyone from someone that attended last year. Interesting. Um, it's definitely a mix of the marketing and advertising community. And then I would say like the leadership and, um, you know, kind of purpose driven HR community. And do you do, um, do you design, um, uh, I, I don't know, the schedule or the format of, of yeah. the entire event, or do you have someone that comes on board and helps you with that? You know, um, I have um, a production company that uh, they specialize in wellness events that helps with, you know, fueling the production. But in terms of the content and what the format is going to be, I, I own that. And, um, and that is because I do a lot of coaching with the women ahead of time. So it's very customized based on we, where each woman is in their own journey. Because this is the C-suite, you know, almost everyone has a role in the event too. You know, we're all teachers and students at this event. It's a peer-to-peer -peer event. Yeah. Um, I only bring in like one outside, you know, I'll call it like keynote speaker um, to enter in. That way the women start and end the event with the same women. You know, this year there were six topics um, that we were, you know, the, the theme of the retreat this year was infinite potential. So, you know, realizing that the only thing limiting you is the belief that you're limited. So we did a lot of work on, uh, we had a workshop on how to identify how fear is showing up in your life. I'm a big believer that fear, um, that we, when we engage with fear, you know, the voice in your head is truth. Your life becomes very small. And that the journey really is, is when fear shows up to instead look at it as a teaching moment. Like what is the fear showing you about you that is ready to be healed? Mm -hmm. So we had like a workshop really doing that workshop on, you know, releasing limiting beliefs. We, it's a lot of heavy self-awareness type of work. And then a lot of work on, you know, how we're going to expand the expression of our soul purpose. But this year um, we had like six topics that were fueling this kind of overarching theme. And every woman was assigned a topic and prepared a five minute story about their experience with the topic. And that's where there's some really powerful emotional yeah. healing took place. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Retreats are, um, it's funny because even corporations, which um, this is kind of the, you know, non-corporate corporate retreat, you're dealing with a lot of attendees that are corporate, right? But there's been a lot of um, a, a lot of implementation on on a higher level of you know of different forms of retreat, but I think that 
this this concept of of going away from the company but staying within you know keeping some of those platforms in play and looking and analyzing those things has been really monumental for i mean even when the corporation itself begins to acknowledge it you realize that it's you know it's probably something that the individuals realized for a long time yeah well you know i'll say like as well i mean it's a personal development experience and I would say 70% of the women are able to get their company to fund it, right? Um, I mean, again, these are sweet seats. Like, they, they need to be able, you know, so one woman said, like, the woman's purpose retreat has become what golf was long to, to men, you know, for women. Uh -huh. Like, women need to come, be able to come together and support one another in these kind of vulnerable, intimate settings and focus on their own personal development and expansion. But, you know, 30% of the companies, you know, and again, these are C-suite women. It's not like we're talking about like junior level women trying to ask for budget, weren't able to get supported. Um, but then we have companies like IHG, the hotel chain, they were our sponsor this year. And yeah. they really saw and believe in the value of it and really, you know, get it. So I would say there's also different levels of understanding at the corporate level of what women need when it comes to women. And I should say this too, when I first created and designed it, I really threw out like the norms of what an event is supposed to be, you know, like a networking hour, a this, a that, you know, right. Yeah. A, a bringing in speakers, you know, I was like, I'm essentially asking women to pay to attend and also speak. And these are women who get paid to speak. Right. Yeah. Um, but I kept coming down to, I can't have streams of women coming in and out. And I didn't want the energy of women just showing up like, oh, I'm just here to do my session and potentially coming in and out and leaving, you know? Yeah, sure. So, um, and I, you know, and it's no offense to, um, you know, to men or anything as I say this, but like a lot of the things that were created traditional conferences were kind of with the man in mind, right? right? You know? And, and so I threw, I just, so that's why I kind of threw it out and I go like, what do women really need at this level? And started from there and did my best to not make like assumptions, you know, of what, mm -hmm. what had to be within it for it to like qualify as a legitimate event, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even as you're teaching people not to do that, that's the true irony, right? Right. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering when you look at what you've done, because all of these things are pretty fresh relatively, you know, 2018 yeah. and things like that. When you look forward towards goals that you have, is it easy for you? I think that sometimes, you know, the, the hardest person for um, to make dinner is the chef. You know, it's like sometimes when we, when you're helping so many people kind of realize what they need to be doing and things like that, there can be a, like a quick disconnect between one's own implications. So I think it'll be interesting to get your 411 on this. Um, but when you think about your goals that you have and your purpose over the next three years and moving forward, do you have... Um, do you task yourself with things like um, that the rest of us do? Do you have a plan? Do you have like, you know, things that you think would be good for you? Let's not say things you think you ought to do because I think you have evolved beyond that. But um, do you have a plan for, you know, not just the retreats, but kind of this entire experience that you're experiencing and bringing to your community? Do you have more books in mind? What does the next three years look like? Yeah, well, I don't do a three-year plan anymore. And, okay. you know, this is where I'll, you know, I was um, just featured, to give you an example here, I was just yes. featured in the November issue of Marie Claire and the article entitled, When Did Work Become So Woo-Woo? Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so bear with me here. Uh -huh. But I don't, 
in the way that I'm operating and living my life now, I believe there's, you know, something bigger at play and it's my job to surrender to that and to flow with that. That doesn't mean I don't have ideas. It doesn't mean I have visions, but I don't even find a three-year plan useful anymore. I, you know, I'll focus on a 2020 plan. And I felt like I might be walking into something with you with that yeah. one. I really yeah, felt like there might like, be a mistake happening yeah, on the horizon. Perfect. Uh-huh. It's a perfect discussion because I, it's just in my experience now for me and where, how I'm operating my life, it's, it's uh, a waste of time because the universe has other plans, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So for me, what I try to do is really stay an- anchored in the present, open to where I'm being guided and to follow that. You know, I start each every day with use me, use me and show me the way. So I am really opening myself up to serve where I'm call- called to being served. So long as I'm honoring myself, my needs, what works for me, right? If I don't have my air mask on, I'm not good to anybody. But to answer your question, you know, coming out of the retreat last week, um, I really, you know, there's some great feedback and some things that came forward that I'm feeling really excited about. One that was a lot of the companies there said, how can we like bring the experience of this into the office? So I'm working with a couple of companies right now to figure out like, how do we bring the woman's purpose retreat experience into like a day event at their office? Nice. Um, yeah. The other feedback too, and I, I have felt called to do this for a long time. Um, is to get this message in front of younger women. And that was something that really came through is like uh, to yeah. really have a, a women's purpose retreat for, you know, the mid-level women. So I, I'm thinking I'm looking to launch that sooner rather than later um, with that event. Um, and then the other thing, and I haven't quite figured this one all out in transparency is, but is how to bring men into this conversation that we're having at this event mm-hmm. um, is really important. Um, Book-wise, I do have another book idea in mind that I'm actually pitching to some publishers right now. So hopefully I can share more about that with you soon. Absolutely. Um, and um, I mean, that's really it, you know, in terms of like, but I, I in, back to your question, I really, look, I'm a business owner. I got to have like a plan for the year, but I don't do the long-term planning anymore. I just find it all gets tossed up in the air anyway. It's hard yeah. to try to like control things, you know? Yeah, I find that plans frequently are just to quiet the mind and comfort oneself. Yeah. You know? And sometimes yeah. there's a little direction mixed in there, but absolutely. Yeah. And that can um, be beneficial too, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So if like anyone's watching that, like that gives them a feeling of security, like do it, you know? Um, it's, it's really about trusting and knowing your own journey and what works for you at the end of the day. Absolutely. Well, so from that, I'm curious when you, um, because you have this kind of like when you've stepped into your life's purpose, you know, it sounds like it kind of removes the um, high, high stakes necessity for goals um, over at least the next three years and the kind of stereotypical things that people think that you need to have, particularly when waging a new path in life. But so what are pieces of advice because you, um, you kind of walk a different path than, you know, stereotypical advice givers. What are the top three pieces of advice that you would give someone who was looking to um, emulate kind of what you've done and pivot and and find their true, you know, life's and soul's purpose in life? Do you have like a top three that if you're talking with someone, you say, listen, start down this road. I mean, I know the book has the 12 steps. And maybe the first piece of advice is by the book, but you know, it's, it's kind of, do you have like a top three that you advise to people who are um, kind of looking to emulate what you yourself have done with your 
you know, this, this turn away from what you were good at in your life and this prolific career and kind of turning into what you know you ought to be doing. Do you have like a top three that you would tell someone? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I'd say the first one, which we were just talking about is honor your own journey. So, you know, a lot of times I'll get asked the question, you know, like, well, you traveled for a year at 36, but you didn't have kids at home and you weren't married. And I say, yeah, but don't compare your journey to mine. The story there is that I honored what my heart is calling was calling me to do. I doubt your heart is going to be calling you to do that if you had kids at home and a husband, right? Like, right. so we get in this like comparison thinking a lot and that I don't ever find leads anywhere good. So the first piece of advice would be to really like, well, I'll do it in a two part on this one is come to like know and listen to what your heart is saying to you. I mean, that's step one. You know, most of us, most of us like don't even hear it. We're so aligned with the like voice of fear in our head, AKA ego self that we don't even hear the heart. So just start to get quiet and listen and ask, like ask your heart, what are, what are you guiding me? What are you saying? And the mm -hmm. second piece tied to that would be to like honor your own journey. Trust that what your heart is calling you is about your journey. And it might not look like someone else's. It might not look like mine. It might not make sense to those around you, but your goal is to know your own journey and honor it. And the third thing would be to start small. Um, look, there's, you know, a thing that I find blocks any of us in making change is we, we often think has to be like these big sweeping changes. We get so black and white and that actually serves to just keep us in the exact same place. So mm -hmm. like really picking, you know, once you like start to hear your heart, most of us don't hear it. And then within that, just start to decide, I'm going to honor my own journey and come to know my own journey, knowing that my journey is being spoken to me through my heart. And then again, it might be saying some really big, bold things to you, but you can start really small. Like what is achievable? What feels like achievable and doable? And it can be something like really, really small. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are fantastic pieces. I agree. And I do think it's like tapping into that clarity, you know, one's inner self, one's inner heart and understanding that. Um, for people who are looking to contact you, can you throw out your website? And also, before I let you go, I wanted to know um, a little bit more about the TV show, The Soul Purpose Sessions. Yeah. Um, where can people tune in to find those? And can you give us a little tidbit on those? Yeah, absolutely. My website is my name. It's Jessica Joins. That's J-O-I-N-E-S.com. You can also watch some episode of my show. So this is like a fun, back to your planning question. Yeah. Like did not have show on the vision board. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> wasn't in the plan right. At all. And um, yeah, I was approached by this growing online, I would call it like a kind of consciously minded media network to launch a show on there about soul purpose and my book. I had interviewed on the show when I was promoting uh, my book on the network and um, it scared me at first because they're like, and everything's done live. <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of like live TV. So it's, they stream it. They have an app with like a million subscribers, like people that really consume this kind of consciously minded content. Um, and then, uh, they stream it on YouTube and Facebook. And then it's live, uh, during, at least my show is during drive time on a few radio stations across the U S. Mm-hmm. So that really frightened me, but something like said, say yes to this. So I just launched it in August. Um, I shoot it um, the third uh, in the second Monday of every month. I just had a show yesterday um, at 6 p.m. Eastern. 
and it's a show it's called a soul purpose with jessica joins and it's really about just helping people uncover and live their soul purpose really you know tied to my mission so so far we had an incredible woman on yesterday who was at my first woman's purpose retreat her name's bonnie wan she's the head of global brand strategy for goodby silverstein out in san francisco but at the same time she also has this product called the life brief which is about we do very similar work, you know, helping people really create an expansion for life. She speaks on it. She leads retreats on it in addition to kind of her day job. And so she's like an expert um, mm -hmm. on soul purpose and had her on. And then I've had people on that are really like living their dream. And so inspiring stories. One thing I'm looking to do at the show, which I'll put out there to your, your viewers and listeners is uh, to have live coaching. So if anyone wants to come on with anything that they're challenged with or going through um, to do some live coaching on air, it's a new segment I'm looking to launch. But That sounds exciting. I love live. I love yeah. anybody who's just putting it out there. And live coaching would be brave yes. on both people's parts. Yes. You know? yes. <laughs> I like that. It sounds yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So that's, I'm really trying to get that message out. I had no takers yet, but I really feel it just be like a 20 minute segment. It's an hour long show. Um, and I, I feel that it, it's just so helpful when you watch that too. Like so many people are usually dealing with the same problems. You know what I mean? I just yeah. feel like it would be really helpful. So long story short, it's been a ton of fun. Again, it was such like an unexpected thing that has just been really exciting and wonderful. It's a cool new avenue too. It's, you know, yeah. it's, it's not one that I've thought about, but in addition to the books and the retreats and then to have this kind of live moment taking places, it's a good like um, shot to the arm of like yeah. current reality, you know, nothing that can be premeditated. Um, well, I appreciate all of your time today and anyone looking to, um, you know, contact Jessica, as she said, it's jessicajoins.com and um, you can find her online as well as, Sounds like Marie Claire, November 2019 issue and um, the Soul Purpose Sessions um, on, on air, live, yeah. coming at you. So, and I can't wait to hear about your next book. I'll circle back around, Jessica, because I love um, hearing about stories like this. And it sounds like yours is going to be as, you know, take place in as much transformation as it is staying true to its core uh, roots. And so I look forward to that. And I will somehow convince you and your busy schedule to talk with us again in about a year but i just want to tell you appreciate so much your time today and you. um, your candor and all of your advice thank you it's been a pleasure to be on truly thank you for having me awesome and to everyone listening thank you so much for giving us your time and until we speak again remember to always bet on yourself Sláinte.